Welcome to season three of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast and is continuing it in 2023. In each episode, we will be talking with CCA leadership and leading experts on issues specific to ranching and producing beef in California. Tune in every other Monday to hear updates on legislative and regulatory fronts in Sacramento, deep dives into current events, challenges, and more. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Sorting Pin, the California Cattlemen podcast. Hopefully you caught our last episode. If you did not, be sure to subscribe. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, but go ahead and listen to that. Today we are down in Paso Robles. We're already here in our mid-year meeting for 2023. Hard to believe that we're already in the middle of June, but we've been down here the last two days. Thanks for everyone that has joined us. And today we are wrapping up and we had a special guest speaker, Secretary Karen Ross. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you may have heard her speak a couple months ago. She joined us on the podcast to give a little bit of an update, talk about plans for 2023, and give just a go over of how the department is doing. And she's going to join us again today. So thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Great to see you, Katie. Thank you. Good to see you as well. We are talking about Ag Vision for the next decade. You just spoke on it, which is a strategic plan. So that's kind of what we want to just talk about today, what the plan is. Let's start with why did you guys even create yeah. this plan? Why did the department feel the need to plan for the next sure. decade? So this has really been a project of the State Board of Food and Agriculture. As you know, they meet monthly. And uh, more than a decade ago, actually, while I still served as a member of the State Board of Food and Agriculture at that time, they were like, what is our vision for ag in the next in the next few years. And so we, we created this plan at that time called Ag Vision 2020, <laughs> 2020 vision, uh, and, and did a lot of work through state board meetings and, and established the first Ag Vision, which was really informative to me when I came back from Washington, D.C. at the department. It really helped us create our climate smart ag programs because we really want to focus on our contributions in a positive way to environment. Um, it led to the creation of our Farm to Fork Office, and it has a number of programs that are about getting food to people, good, healthy, grown food from California to people. And we realized in 2020 and COVID that it needs to be updated, doesn't it? So we spent a lot of time going out and listening to a whole broad set of diverse stakeholders of what their vision was for ag in the next decade. And we'll talk about that, but that's how we did it. Why we did it is like, how do we bring a more unified message? Because with 400 commodities, sometimes people talk to three different groups in ag and they're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example of 400, but you're right, <laughs> even comparing three. Yeah. So the process, you said there was stakeholders involved mm -hmm. in it. You went out, you saw input, and then someone helped you put this whole plan yes. together. What did that process look like? Yeah, so we had a task force. Cattlemen had a representative on the task force just to ground truth some things. And truthfully, the strategic objectives are more refined than they were before. And we're actually going to put hold ourselves accountable with some metrics because we believe if we have a plan and we have a unified ag voice behind it, it will help us inform and perhaps guide and influence legislative as well as resource allocation decisions that are made in the public setting. Um, what was interesting, the first thing we agreed on 
we agreed with the purpose statement that was originally identified, and that is California agriculture makes California a better place to live because of what we grow and how we grow it. And that resonates even more today with consumers and the general public than it even did over a decade ago. We did update our mission statement because throughout everything, as discouraging as things have been, and even in the midst of the pandemic, we kept coming back to opportunity. California agriculture is about growing opportunities. It's for the farmers and ranchers. It's for the farm workers. It's for everyone in our community. When you think about the workforce and the people that make up this long, complicated, and was severely disrupted food chain, the input side, the output side, we touch a lot of people just in workforce itself. And the opportunities, the specific one that people got excited about, opportunities, we're growing them, and we are leaders on climate solutions, leaders on the land. Yeah, I know. We talk about, people look at California and they don't think of agriculture always, but if they look at the whole picture, you're right. We touch so many people um, from start to end. Yes. Every Californian that eats California grown food is touched. It's also funny, you mentioned the strategic plan. Yesterday, Mm -hmm. we were in our California Cattlemen's Foundation Uh meeting. And we're going through a strategic planning process for that. And we're talking about the importance of metrics being a driving motivator. Yes. If you don't have something driving you to hit. So that's great to hear those were included in the plan. So I know there's five strategic objectives. Um, Let's start with the first one, Uh foster climate, smart, resilient, and regenerative food systems. Yes. So that will continue the work that we've started with the investments that have been made by one-time funds from the legislature and the governor for our Climate Smart Ag programs, over $500 million for healthy soils, on-farm water conservation, methane reduction, either dairy digesters, alternative manure management practices, pollinator habitat. Uh, We want to continue that work. And even if our grant funding declines somewhat, we've put a lot of investment into technical assistance and organizations like resource conservation districts. So the work itself will continue to acquaint people with those practices. But it's coming at a time where USDA has a new infusion of funding for climate smart ag practices. So there's huge opportunities there. Um, And we will be partnering with USDA on a number of the programs that they're funding under the Climate Smart Commodity Partnership Program. I mean, really exciting projects. I have to say, beef producers are very successful in being embedded in a number of programs that are being funded over the next three to five years. That's going to generate a lot of data. I agree with Secretary Vilsack. We all need to have a more harmonized way of how what we measure and how we measure it, yeah. especially because it is leading to markets, it's leading to offsets, which we do here. But if you want carbon credits, we've got to be much more precise about doing that. And we can't have company A making these claims on carbon reductions and measuring it differently. Sure. So that, that kind of rigor is going to be really important. So we'll be working on that. And then we also want to set up metrics and standards for ecosystem services because we've been working with a lot of nonprofits and others that we believe this is the right time to really try to generate appreciation for the ecosystem services and the potential of markets for those as well. Yeah, we know because the California Rangeland Trust did the study uh, that's, on ecosystem yes, services, indeed. just how much in California yeah. rangelands contribute. 
some huge dollar amount. I'm trying to remember. Was it like $300 million? I should know what it is. I know. I should too, because I frequently quote it. But if I haven't quoted it in a month, you know, I have to go back and refresh my memory. A lot of numbers. But it's, it's, I mean, that's the kind of work. I just have to give kudos to California Cattlemen, uh, the foresight of some of the things that they've done, like establishing the Rangeland Trust, uh, the Cattle Council. I mean, you're pulling together the data, the hard evidence of backing up. This is what we do. Here it is. <laughs> California Cattle Council has been extremely important in helping us back up that data. Yes. I know right now their research, even just on leafy greens and beef and mm-hmm. airways moving, yes. that's been huge. Yes. I think it says it's $1 billion. Oh my, hey, I weigh in under- environmental I benefits weigh undersold the great work of California cattlemen <laughs> and the cows. <laughs> the cows really get all the credit. Yes. So that was strategic objective Uh number one. Um, Number two was building healthy and local communities. Local is a word we hear a lot in agriculture these days. It's really important that we hold up local and proudly hold up local, which for us is rural. But our rural community is what makes urban life possible in many ways because that's where the food is coming from. The jobs that we create, we live, work, and play in these local rural communities, but so do our farm workers and everyone else in our workforce. And while we know how generous we are in giving back to our communities, sure. you ha- we have to be more intentional about showing that, like, what are, what are the contributions that we're making to food banks? And they went up dramatically during COVID, and they've stayed that way since COVID, and the need is very, very real. Um, this is about our farm-to-school program, being able to grow that out so that every child has access to healthy, local, California-grown food, and local is California-grown. And so I'm just saying that right now. That's my definition. Yeah, Kevin Kester Yeah, I got that. I got that. And it's, and it's an important question because it can be confusing, and we have to be pragmatic about what is local, what is feasible. And we have to, we can never forget that affordability is a huge reason people make the food choices that they do. So our, our farm to school program has already invested $60 million in grants. Department of Education is investing in new kitchen infrastructure. There's culinary training so that kids learn from a young age what healthy eating is, what good nutrition is, and they're setting lifetime habits that should give them good health in every decade of aging. Um, and so... Watching these children have a school garden, pick it, help create the the menu item, it's like this holistic approach to food that ties back to the land and the people that produced it. And I think starting at very young ages in the whole scheme of this is a really exciting opportunity. We also, I'm, I'm on my way to Lancaster for Antelope Valley Fair that's getting a resiliency grant. Butte County got one a couple of weeks ago to really improve the resiliency of our fairgrounds as community assets that are about being a safe refuge in times of emergencies and disasters but also culinary kitchens for training and food entrepreneurs. Humboldt Fair did that. They have helped start like 20 different food businesses, and some of them have grown out of the fairground kitchen. Wow, Isn't amazing. that exciting? That's super to think exciting. think about how we can use our facilities at a local level. Fairgrounds are there year-round. We need to utilize them every day of the year in ways. I think growing up in a rural area, you've probably been to your fairground more than just the fair. Yes. But outside of that, you would not think about a fairground yeah. being there all year. Just like the carnival, you'd probably think about it packing up. and Yeah, and, and moving. It was really interesting during COVID because they couldn't hold fairs, but they became the food box distribution center for, for food banks because so many people were out of jobs very suddenly. They had the storage facilities 
for all of the PPE and equipment and test kits. They became test sites. They became vaccination sites. And it was interesting at a strategic growth council when I was talking about fairgrounds can be resiliency centers for their communities. These are public assets. And the chancellor from UC Merced threw up his microphone. He says, yes, and they are a trusted, well-known place. He goes, in our community, we knew a safe place to go for tests and vaccines was at the Merced Fairgrounds. So that's pretty amazing. We're using Mm -hmm. fairgrounds for both Mm -hmm. public health emergencies Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. for holding livestock during fire evacuations. The next strategic objective, one I'm excited about, is drive next generation talent and tools. I hear a lot of people in California want to, people my age, want to stay in California. They want to contribute and be part of agriculture, but they don't know how. So hopefully this objective is just about that. Yeah. uh, One of the first things we'll be doing on our state board, we have the vice president of ag and natural resources for the UC system. The current dean, there's always a dean from one of the CSU schools and it's uh, Dean Stockley from Chico. So we will be partnering with CSU, UC, ANR, and the community college system to really lay out a 10-year plan for agricultural science, research, and education. Again, that gives us a unified voice, even in tight budget times, to show what this investment will bring back. We're very fortunate. Governor Newsom got very excited two years ago in the budget, and we had one-time funding. $75 million was put into the farm schools at the four CSU schools that have farms. And it's like when we have a plan, And we can show people what that investment will bring back. That also shows young people, we believe in the future of ag. We believe in you. And so let's lay out our plan for where are the jobs of the future? What kinds of skills do we need? How do we upskill our current workforce? Because we have a lot of employers that have gaps and openings they can't fill. And part of it is we just need to upskill the current workforce and show young people. There's everything from, you know, culinary arts from using my own beef (laughs) to being a climate warrior and helping to lead on healthy soils and sequestering carbon and being a part of that. So I say at both ends of the food chain, who wouldn't want to be a part of agriculture in the future, just as we have been in the past? Yeah. And it's great to hear the be kind of a connection to what is actually needed in the labor force and what the CSUs and community colleges are producing out of their colleges. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, we, our future is young people. So you better make sure you stay here and keep all your colleagues here too, Katie. I'm trying <laughs> to keep everyone in California. Yeah. Well, I say you have my permission to go someplace else, but you have to guarantee that she'll come back. Yeah, I think it's good to leave. <laughs> you do. Uh, because you realize you how much food is grown in California. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're so lucky that way. Yeah. I did an internship in the Midwest and I remember calling my mom and uh, I said, the apples here look like the apples that we'd be passing up. Like they're not good. <laughs> they're not it was the first like time ours. I really realized like, oh wait, it's we live in a very best. special food area. Yeah, we do. We're lucky. We are very fortunate. <laughs> um, number four, enhanced understanding of agriculture. So this is one we've heard for years that, you know, we just have to tell our story. We have to engage people with our story and food is that pathway for that and connecting it to the land and the people that it came from is one way of doing that. But even my colleagues at the cabinet, we interviewed a number of them, the consultant did for this. They said, you know, when I learn about everything that ag is, it's so much more than just the product that I pick up at the store. It's everything that stands behind it. And I would say that includes our values, of you know, family values, our real community values, neighbors helping neighbors. We saw that in the floods this winter and investing in young people and, and 
our service to others is tying all of that together. And they said, every Californian should be as proud of California Ag as I am because I understand everything that you do. So we just have to have our unified way. California Grown is a great message platform. Sure. So we're going to continue to rely on that and just get even more commodity groups and others and just some unified messaging and all of our groups thinking about when we go out with our own outreach campaigns, we want to bring it back to this is what we do. We make California a better place to live because of what we grow and how we grow it. And the food that you get to taste is what we are so proud to be able to contribute to California and its lifestyle. I love how simple that purpose is. Yeah. And it's actually funny. We were kind of talking mm-hmm. last night. I ran into you right when you got yeah, here that's right. about how Paso Robles has done such a good job embracing <laughs> the agriculture yeah. and putting it into their town. Right. Um, I mean, we're in downtown Paso Robles right. and there's murals everywhere of cows and agriculture. Yeah. So I think Paso Robles is a great example. And it is hopefully it continues example. to be a good model of incorporating agriculture yeah. into it. The fifth strategic objective, collaborate on smarter regulations, yes. which I'm sure got some applause yeah. earlier in the session. Well, if anybody will define what smarter means, does that mean more? <laughs> no, it does not. It means over the years, you take something like a Clean Water Act that actually is a federal law, but we have the delegated authority for it. Clean water, that's a very important cause. We're all part of, especially in cattle, what you do in the watersheds allows clean water to flow down to, to the valley floor and to the city of San Francisco. But over the years, we keep adding more and more and more to it as we regulate more precisely or add more things. We never stand up and say, oh, did we just pass something that's contradictory to something from 10 years ago? We never take anything away. We just add to it. Yeah. Well, the complexity of complying with it and the reporting of that, when you talk to people about how many hours they have to spend filling out a different form, a different agency, local, state, federal, and a lot of it is redundant information. Is there a way we could streamline that, take some of the complexity out, which then would save costs because you're spending less time? Yeah. That's the dream, Katie. This is a very small pilot project. I have an enthusiastic partner with Secretary Yana Garcia from EPA and the State Water Resources Control Board. So we're starting out by looking at what are the reporting requirements and what's behind it on food safety and water quality as a starting point. But we're very hopeful by doing this very bureaucratic process mapping, we'll start to see layers of redundancy or where there's contradiction. Sure. How do we iron that out? Yeah, that would be great for everyone. I'm sure even the boards and the departments are probably looking at that too, where it doesn't make... That's the kind of look that we need is without the most thorough survey work, but a good survey work that a graduate student did for us a couple of years ago, 163 regulations... A number of those are county add-ons on top of what we do from the state in compliance with feds. And so how can any large operations can have a dedicated person for that? Yeah. But us mom and pop operations, it's us doing everything. And that, that gets very discouraging to have to spend your time on that as opposed to taking care of cattle and the grasses. Fortunately, thanks to the California Cattle Council, ranchers have had a little bit of release through the Rancher Technical Assistance Program. Jack Rice and Noah are doing a great job. Noah Lopez. Sometimes even they, they know how to research and write and find it. Even they're saying, your question's taking me eight hours. Oh, yeah. I think it shouldn't be that way. It just should not be that way. It should be a little more simple. (laughs) So that's great to hear. And I hope the pilot project goes well. And so do I. (laughs) That would be a good update for future episodes. One small step to get to a really big journey. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 
So with all of this, Mm -hmm. um, it's for the next decade. So Mm -hmm. how year over year, are there Mm -hmm. objectives for each year or is there a one year plan, two year plan? So that the rest of this year will be like establishing metrics. How do we want to measure ourselves on this um, so that we are doing that? The state board will do a lot of their uh, their monthly meetings will be forums around some of these topics and who all is involved. There's a really interesting opportunity with a grant that we just got from USDA for local food procurement and processing. It's about local food systems. It marries really nicely with the farm to school program and it's almost $38 million dollars. But we have to have a plan for what kind of buckets are we going to sort this into? Okay. And one of the first ones that's already gotten some funding under some of the meat processing grants that have gone out is a convening next week that the Roots of Change is doing in Sacramento around regenerative food and specifically meat, beef primarily, because they're really doing some work with the UC system to procure its meat products, California. There's a big buying power, don't you think? A little bit. So it's going to be interesting how they're going to set that up. Uh, what kind of standards will it be or how will that be? It'll be very informative. And we'll be looking at those kinds of buckets of how should we spend this $38 million to fill in the gaps of what, where do we have a lack of local processing? Now, this one can't go for meats because there's a separate program for that. But okay. we know that meat processing for smaller direct-to-consumer markets that a lot of cattlemen have, have created, they've got their good tight connection with consumers who buy direct from them. But just filling in the gaps of what would really make us a more resilient food system at the local level, whether that's in the next three counties or the northern part of California. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Out of 2020, we talked a lot about the need for more local processing plants. That was pretty apparent. Yes. We'll probably look for an update on that as well soon. Is there anything else specific either from the plan or just from the department you want to pop in and add to the podcast before we wrap up specific to ranchers? Just just really to have gone from the driest drought (laughs) on a few short months to what could have been horrible flooding. But again, because of a lot of pre-planning and understanding our hotter, drier future is going to have these kinds of very erratic weather changes. You know, we went from this deep drought to atmospheric rivers and lakes reappearing, but we managed the water. And I give huge kudos to DWR because they're also our flood managers and tight partnership with the, with the federal government on their reservoirs, managing based on really accurate flyovers and measuring of snow and and temperature days. And of course, we were fortunate that we've had cooler weather. So we got nice. So that we got the slow melt that we really needed with all the rains that created that. And we've been able to put almost 3 million acre feet of water into underground storage, because we now understand the value of putting that on the land and letting it infiltrate into our aquifers. So I think many people have seen this is our future. And we just have to have the right plumbing to be able to to store underground and above ground. Yeah, I think had we recorded a podcast last year Uh at mid-year, we could not have Mm. predicted the amount of rain, the flooding, and then now being able to recharge. We would not have predicted talking about that. It's an incredible story. We call it weather whiplash. It's devastating. Think about for the past month, there have been extreme heat warnings, wildfire smoke warnings, and states not California. This is like the horrible tornadoes that have been happening in the South and in Texas. And I think I've seen a lot of stories on people moving from California to New York City to go away from the smoke. 
Man. And now the Canadian wildfires are I know. smoking it's them amazing. out. So it has been nice that it has not been extreme heat. I think a lot of us expected, oh, of course it'll get really hot, but it has been very nice. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. And hopefully we'll continue to have green grass and good markets. It's very nice to come to a cattleman's meeting and we can all smile at one another. <laughs> I mean, cattlemen always do anyway. They're such honorable people, but the smiles are like happy, happy, happy smiles. Yeah, I'll take it for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you for making time for being here. And I know you were at our steak and eggs breakfast just last month. It feels like longer than that, but it was just last month. That was was a a great event. It was a great turnout. People, the energy of being able to get back together in person, but that room was packed. It was packed and it was really exciting. We hadn't had it since 2019 and there was a lot of momentum always before the breakfast, but not having it all long. I was unsure if people would be excited there was a huge turnover in the legislature so it was just really exciting and i know next year will be even bigger and better it will be that's right thank you congratulations yeah thank you (laughs) thank you for making time for this i know you got to get on the road to lancaster but thank you everyone for listening stay tuned to our next episode we're going to have dr jennifer norris who is the deputy secretary for biodiversity and habitat at the california natural resources agency She's fantastic to work with. Great colleague. Finally going to have her on the podcast, giving us an update about 30 by 30, talking about conservation easements. So don't miss that episode. And in the meantime, go check out Ag Vision. We'll be sure to link it in the podcast description so you can go check out the whole plan yourself. All right. Thanks for listening. And thanks again. Thanks, Katie.